Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover with yours truly, Jarrell Mason, where we get inside not only the entertainment industry with those in the know, but talk about any and everything with people in all walks of life. This man right here, he's my brother from another mother. You can catch him on 99.9, The Fan, if you're in the Raleigh-Durham Triangle area, and also the Culture State Podcast with my good friend, Chris Lee, who's lead sports anchor for WREL TV5, NBC affiliate, Riley Durham, I call him the artist formerly known as Show Smooth, but we got the better half today, my man, oh, the better Dennis half. Cox. Dennis, oh, the better half. The album cover, my brother. Yes, the, the you're the better half. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to make sure Chris knows that. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to play that for him every single day from now on so he knows that. Right. So how you doing, Dennis? I appreciate you taking the time to come on to the podcast. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's a busy time of year for us in the triangle. The Carolina Hurricanes are in the playoffs. So that definitely is keeping us busy for sure, especially me, uh, because I work not only, like I said, at 99.9 The Fan here in Raleigh, but also do work for Bally Sports as well, doing social media. So for Carolina Hurricanes games, I'm the one that's posting all the stuff on Twitter and also reading all the complaints of people who say their app isn't working properly. I get all of those. So it's a pretty busy time for year for me. Yeah, and Bally's, yes, that Bally's, the casino out in Vegas, they brought what was formerly Fox Sports, because Fox yep. Sports had to divest their sports properties, and Bally's ended up taking over. Yeah, that's the thing. So basically, all the Fox Sports regional networks are all known as Bally, as Bally Sports now. So here in the Carolinas, it used to be Fox Sports Carolinas. Now it's part of you know Bally Sports South, Bally Sports Southeast. So that, it's just a name change, but it all the people are still in place, basically. Right. But it's a fun time. I enjoy doing it. Yeah, very fun time. And as of the taping of this podcast yesterday, it was game one of the Carolina Hurricanes and the Nashville Predators and their opening round of the playoffs. Hurricanes took game one. So I'm rooting for the Hurricanes, and hopefully we can get another banner up at PNC for the first time since, I believe, what, 06 was when they won the Yeah. Cup? Yeah, 2006, they won the Stanley Cup, and uh, I, I wasn't here during that time. I was in college, but I wasn't here during that time. So personally and selfishly, I would love to see a cup run and them actually win the cup. And if they win the cup here in Raleigh, that'd be absolutely amazing. Yeah, it was a crazy time when they won the Stanley Cup because I'm raised in North Carolina, born in VA, but raised in NC. So when they won the cup, it was a big deal because it was the first pro sports championship for the state because we all thought that the Panthers would do it because it was, I believe, three years removed after them losing the Super Bowl to the Patriots, which they should have won, and I'm still salty well. about. But still, <laughs> nonetheless, we got one, and hopefully this upcoming season with the Panthers, they can make some improvements. I'm still – the jury's out on Sam Darnold, even though Rule and the crew is all in on him with them picking the fifth-year option up on him and DJ Moore. So they must really believe in Sam and hopefully he won't be seeing ghosts at the vault at Bank of America Stadium. Yeah, well, time will tell with the with the Panthers, but it's definitely a conversation for another time. Yeah, another day, another dollar, another conversation for another time. So let's go ahead and hop right into it. How mm -hmm. did you end up in the Tar Heel State? Uh, it's interesting. This is actually my second stint in North Carolina. So when I graduated college uh, back in 2008, I was actually a writer full time. I worked at a small newspaper where nearby where I went to college. Uh, I went to college in Virginia at Shenandoah University. 
uh, economy started to get a little dicey, uh, to say the least. Let's put it that way. And then I actually transferred or got a different job at another newspaper, this time out of weekly. And then eventually early 2009, it folded. Well, I played lacrosse in college. And I, after that time, I actually got into coaching because where I went to college, Shenandoah University, got a new women's lacrosse coach at the time. And she was looking for an assistant. And my name popped up. She contacted me. And before you know it, I'm her assistant coach. So I was an assistant coach with the women's team in my alma mater for two years. And then I said, well, media jobs really aren't opening up because everyone cut their advertising, which is usually the first thing that happens when businesses are cutting back on their budgets and such. So there's no media jobs really open. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll pursue this coaching thing. And that actually took me down to Methodist University in Fayetteville, where I was the head coach there from August 2011 until uh, August 2013 is when I got uh, decided to take a different coaching job. I went to Carthage College in Wisconsin, which is just south of Milwaukee, was there for a year. And then I was just kind of burnt out from coaching. And my sister and brother-in-law actually had moved to North Carolina soon after I did. And I was like, all right, let's see if I can revive the media career in some sort of way. So I moved down here back in October 2014 and uh, to Raleigh. Been here ever since. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting story. Now, you mentioned uh, Shenandoah University. That's over in like the mountain areas of Virginia, like Harrisonburg, uh, Charlottesville, that area. Well, I grew up in Charlottesville, which is the central part of the state where the University of Virginia is. Uh, Harrisonburg is where James Madison is. That's in the in the valley, the Shenandoah Valley. Go north about 90 minutes of of Harrisonburg. It's in Winchester, Virginia. So it's kind of nearby where Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland all meet. And that's where Shenandoah University is. So that's where I went to college. Uh, played lacrosse there for four years, actually played football there for my freshman year as well, and decided just to stick with one sport because two sports was too much. Right. And I, I got I'm got some familiarity with the Virginia area. My dad, he lived in the 757 for a little bit. Hampton Roads, okay. area, Norfolk, yeah. Newport News, Portsmouth. Uh, it was there right around the same time when. Allen Iverson, Michael Vick, and all of them yeah, were doing Vick, their thing in, the, all those in the Tidewater area for high school. But it's mm-hmm. just crazy to think about how that area of Virginia and now North Carolina, especially the 252 area where I'm from in the state, been it's been a basketball hotbed for years because, mm-hmm. of course, you know about all the talent that has come out of Kenston over the years from Reggie Bullock, yeah. Brandon Ingram, Cornbread Maxwell, Jerry Stackhouse. Jerry Stackhouse further down in Goldsboro with uh, Kobe White, Jimmy Graham, mm-hmm. and recently Little Washington with uh, Bam Adebayo, Dominique Wilkins yeah. from Little Washington, then 252 area with Montrez Harrell with the Clippers. So yeah. it is good to see the 252 area of the state finally get some recognition for basketball talent. Oh, and also Kent Bazemore, who's from Bertie County. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's amazing how the eastern part of the state, as you just mentioned all the names and specifically Kinston, because if you you think about it, is that, oh, all this talent's coming out of Kinston. Must be some big area. It's not. You blink and you drive through town. And that's it's it's surprising how much talent has come out of such a small area in eastern North Carolina. And if you move you know, slightly towards the central part of the state, you know, to the Raleigh area, that's where you get guys 
uh, like Devontae Graham, John Wall. Those guys are from the Raleigh area and, and, and even more guys who have all come out of that central to eastern part of the state that the talent that comes through here, I, I, I still haven't figured out if it's something in the water here. I don't know if it's the eastern style barbecue. I'm not entirely sure, but they, they just the talent is just limitless here, it feels like. Yeah, it's probably something in the Bojangles tea or the Smithfield chicken and barbecue. Probably. I would not debate either. Probably both. It might be the Bowberry biscuits. I'm not entirely sure. Which I'm going to make a confession. I've never in my life had a Bowberry biscuit from Bojangles. Neither have I. So you're fine. Yeah, but I know a lot of people had told me about this uh, foodie hack where you take a sausage patty and you stick mm-hmm. it inside the Bowberry biscuit. So you get I the have heard of that. savoriness of the sausage with the sweetness of the Bowberry biscuit. But I'm sure North Carolina should be recovering soon from their chicken supreme shortages because a lot of my <laughs> friends back home on my Facebook feed, they're yes. like, Bojangles are running out of chicken supremes. It's, hear- and you got people running up to go get gas and put them in plastic. Yes. Yeah, it's the we run out of we run out of chicken supremes and then all of a sudden our gas is cut short and then everyone's trying to hoard both. It's it's been a crazy few weeks here, but I think the the Bojangles thing's a little bit under wraps nowadays and and hopefully people aren't continuing to be stooges when it comes to gas because that's the reason why we're in this situation in the first place is because people decided to be idiots, but some people are just inherently selfish, I guess. Mm. Now, your first trip down to North Carolina, did you mm-hmm. have to really do a lot of brushing up to get indoctrinated with the ACC and college basketball culture here since, you know, college basketball is the big thing in North Carolina besides NASCAR is either Carolina, Duke, NC State, Wake Forest, we could go down the list of all the ACC schools that pretty much has houses and relationships divided. Yeah, I, that's something that I found was kind of interesting here is that I grew up by the University of Virginia. I grew up 12 miles from there. So ACC sports and ACC basketball, it's, it's what I grew up watching. But mostly everyone followed UVA. And depending if you're in a different part of the state, maybe you're a Virginia Tech fan. But when it came to Virginia Tech, people mostly were just football fans because Virginia Tech basketball never was really that good. And come down here and it's you got Carolina fans right next to state fans, right next to Duke fans. And they're just trash talking each other. Then you got a wake fan that pops in. And then people are asking me, well, you got to pick one. Like, wait, wait, why, why do I got to pick one? Like, no, 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 no. You have to pick one. You have to pick state Duke or Carolina. I'm like, I don't want to pick any of them. I'm not from here. I, I just want to watch good basketball. No, 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 no. Well, they, you, you, you can't be here then. I'm like, wait, hold on. What do you mean? I can't be here. Like I have to actually pick a side. Like it was to be very divisive at times, but it can also lead to fun conversation and fun debates as to, you know, which team's better, you know, at the time it was uh, who's better Roy Williams or coach K, you know, just things along those lines. And, it's it's interesting seeing the dynamic between fan bases and how they view each other. Um, I think there's between Duke and Carolina, especially on the basketball side, there's a lot of mutual respect for each other. It's like, yeah, it's a rivalry. You want to beat them, but they also understand the prestige and the greatness that comes from the opposite school. And there's a level of the pedigree from each of those schools is propped up by the other because, you know, you get Duke faces Carolina. Well, if Carolina isn't as good, then we don't have that Duke Carolina rivalry and vice versa. So those two kind of balance each other out in that regard. And, 
And for some reason, a lot of people just don't like NC State fans. Yeah, NC State, they're there <laughs> Which like, I find um, funny. we don't even consider you because if you look at Carolina and Duke, they're about what eight miles down the road on 15501. And yeah. it's pretty much where you're going to run into somebody from either school if you're around the Triangle area, whether you're a current student or you're an alum, and it's big bragging rights. Yeah, it really is. And I've actually found the more you actually spread throughout the state away from the triangle, you probably actually get more UNC fans. Now, the Raleigh area specifically, which is about 25 minutes east of of Duke and, and UNC, that's obviously flooded with a lot of NC State fans and certain and understandably so. And there's a lot of NC State fans that are east of Raleigh. But you go out to the Greensboro area. That's a, that's a pretty heavy UNC fan base, even going creeping down towards Charlotte, it's actually a pretty heavy UNC fan base, at least at least from what I've seen. Now, there certainly are Duke fans and state fans, but UNC, for the most part, has, I would say, probably the strong or let's say the strongest, but the largest fan base, at least from what I've seen in my time here. Yeah, because even if you go outside the state of North Carolina, you're bound to find somebody who's either a Carolina alum, Carolina Mm -hmm. fan, same thing for Duke. And it's almost like if you go, let's say, to the Midwest, you got to choose between Ohio State, Michigan, Yankees, Red Sox, USC, Notre Dame. So it is pretty much the premier rivalry, in my opinion, of all sports, Duke, Carolina. Yeah, and, and, and what makes it so special is the fact that they are so close to each other. Okay, in, in the state of Michigan, okay, you have Michigan and Michigan State. Well, they're not that close to each other. And, okay, in the state of Ohio, you have Ohio State. And that's, that's, that's it in terms of the really the big school. Okay, in, in Pennsylvania, you have Penn State. Okay, yeah, there's Pitt, but those are a few hours away from each other. And, you know, okay, Iowa and Iowa State, it's not like they're 10 miles down the road. And that's what makes this area so unique is that you have three – power five schools all within 30 minutes of each other. And then not far down the road in Winston-Salem being about an hour and a half is another power five school in Wake Forest that it's not the best, at least in terms of basketball, the best program right now. But this is a program that has produced guys like Randolph Childress, Tim Duncan, Josh Howard, Chris Paul, and was competing at a top 15, top 10 level for a long time. And so unfortunate passing of Skip Prosser, they haven't been the same since. So this for the stack, the fact that this one state has four power five schools in it, it's pretty remarkable. Even down in Texas. Okay. Yeah. Baylor TCU. Those don't move the needle like university of Texas. The fact that you have multiple schools that or it can be very polarizing in one way or the other in such a small area, you can't find it anywhere else in the country. Right. And you mentioned the triad area, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High mm-hmm. Point. I consider that area my second home. I went to UNCG along with uh, Chris Lee, who is the current head sports anchor at WRAL. And I didn't really understand or know the significance of how rich the triad was with basketball talent coming from Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point, Burlington, Elon, mm-hmm. in and around the 336 area. Yeah, you look at probably the best one to come out, Chris Paul. You know, he's a guy who is from the Winston-Salem area, stayed local, went to Wake Forest. I believe both of his parents went to Winston-Salem State, if I remember correctly, which is a HBCU. And, the, and what's something I've been learning more over the years is how – 
the HBCUs and the CIAA and how big that conference is and how much that conference means in in this state and just this area. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, these guys are are starting to pop up and you're starting to see programs like UNC Greensboro being a team that competes for a SOCON championship and also see North Carolina A&T, which is another HBCU that's also what well, the time now they are moving to a different conference, but consistently winning the MEAC and going to the NCAA tournament all right there out of Greensboro. So you look at the Greensboro area that is producing a couple, if not three NCAA tournament teams. And then you just right down the road of the triangle, you get two, if not three NCAA tournament teams every year. And then you also maybe throw in a UNC Wilmington or UNC Asheville, maybe, you know, get into the tournament as an automatic qualifier for, you know, you're looking at like seven, eight schools from North Carolina in the NCAA tournament. It's, 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 it's awesome to see it. And as a sports fan, you can get behind just about any of any of those schools. Right. And I'm going to give you a Steph Curry story. I got a chance to see, ah, yes. Je- I got a chance to see Steph chef Curry cook at Fleming gymnasium on UNCG's campus. This was before Davidson went to go join the Atlantic 10. They were still mm-hmm. in the Southern conference with UNCG and it was a home game. And it was, I believe the season before they made their elite eight tournament run. He had no sign of facial hair on his face. Looked like he could still be on JV weight, maybe a buck 50 soaking wet. Could torch the lights out shooting 30 feet then. And I thought he was going to be a role player, find a role in the league, but not to where he has kids wanting to jack up 30 to 40 foot threes. And his three-pointers, when he makes them, is just about as devastating as a dunk. I think that's something that's special about him. I Maybe he does get enough credit, but I don't think a lot of people understand is how much the he changed the game and how much he impacted the game. Here's a guy by by basketball standards is not very big. I mean, he's taller than me, but by basketball standards, not a big guy. Like you said, probably 150 pounds soaking wet, you know, in college before he went to the NBA. And no one projected to him to have the career that he did. If, if they would have projected this career, he would have gone number one overall. And to see how the three-point shooting has just continually increased and increased year after year. The NBA continues to set records for a number of threes made per game, you know, for what the eighth straight season, I believe. And he's the big reason for that because a lot of people are seeing, well, he's not that big of a guy. I'm not that big of a guy, but I can be impactful. And his rise in the NBA and still playing at the level he is at what age 33. It's remarkable. And yeah, for a guy who went to small college Davidson of all places, yeah, from right here in North Carolina, but he didn't go to UNC, didn't go to Duke, didn't go to State or Wake or Kansas or Michigan State. He went to Davidson, but that run that he had in the NCAA tournament put his name on the map, put that school on the map, and is always will be viewed as one of the more special runs in NCAA tournament history. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I also mentioned NASCAR earlier. The NASCAR Hall of Fame mm-hmm. is in Charlotte. But a lot of people, unless you really are specified about it, know that North Carolina played an important role in what we see now in professional wrestling because, you know, yes. Jim Crockett Promotions out of Charlotte mm-hmm. used to run promotions in and around the state. And then, of course, Vince McMahon 
from Fayetteville, him and Linda McMahon, they both went to East Carolina University out in Greenville. Sandra Bullock as well, along with Chris Johnson and former Bengals quarterback Jeff Blake. And how when Vince McMahon Jr. brought the WWE from his dad, he had the idea of saying to all of the regional promotions in the NWA, say, hey, let's go ahead and break off from doing these regional promotions and we're going to make it a national brand. And then later during mm-hmm. Crockett Promotions, went further south to Georgia, got brought out by Mr. Ted Turner. And that turned yep. into WCW before That's Vince right. ended up buying out WCW and becoming the only game in town until recently with the launch of AEW. Yeah, this is actually where Chris and I actually connected initially because I was filling in producing for a show that he regularly appears on on the fan every day just to kind of preview what's coming up on the news that night. And I was filling in producing that day. So he and I were just talking off air. This is during covid last year about a year ago and he and i were just kind of talking down the line talking off air and he was like hey i saw your twitter profile your former pro wrestler and we just started talking about it. i was like me i'm a big time pro wrestling fan so he and i just dm traded numbers texting back and forth and that's kind of actually what spurned the podcast culture state that we have now but the, the history of wrestling here in North Carolina is it's rich. It's deep. There's been a lot of fantastic wrestlers, not only from North Carolina in the past previously, but current professional wrestlers now who have made their mark on the wrestling business from Cameron, North Carolina, look at Matt and Jeff Hardy. And you look at how they've revolutionized the table ladders and chairs matches. Not only were they great tag team together as brothers, but them two as singles wrestlers are fantastic as well. You also look at other guys uh, such as you know Arn Anderson and how the four horsemen and those guys ran the territory. Like you mentioned, Jim Crockett Promotions, they ran this territory. When they were in North Carolina, I remember Arn Anderson actually said this recently, how anytime they came to Charlotte and were in North Carolina, they're loved by everybody. They're the biggest baby faces on the card that night, but you go outside of North Carolina, they were the biggest heels. Everyone hated them because they wanted to be like them. And I think that's what made it so special is to see all the talent that came out of here. I know Chris and I want to do um, a podcast with, with Ric Flair, but we also want to have one with Ricky Steamboat because the Flair Steamboat rivalry, which is considered one of the best rivalries in all of professional wrestling actually started at WRAL studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. When during a TV taping with Jim Crockett Promotions and the studio where that was filmed or was taped is actually where Chris stands right now to do his sports cast every single night. So the history of that just coming full circle, at least for us as fans and Chris being the former pro wrestler himself, it's just cool. The fact that he's actually standing where that rivalry, which was massive, especially during the 80s was born right here in North Carolina and right in the company building where we work. Uh, it's the history is deep. And we didn't even touch into, like you said, what Vince McMahon really has done with WWE, making it the global brand that it is. And unfortunately, good or bad, depending on how you look at it, is the reason why all these regional promotions at the time all went out of business because he had the, the foresight of, like you said, going national, getting a cable uh, television deal as opposed to be on local syndicated TV completely changed the game. Uh, yeah. All those from right here in North Carolina and even independent wrestling here in North Carolina is still big. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the late Junkyard Dog was out of uh, Fed yeah. video. Now, I didn't know about the WRAL wrestling connection until years yeah. ago when I had interviewed Charlie Gaddy and Tom Suter. Charlie Gaddy, yeah. longtime sports, longtime news anchor here for WRAL, and Tom Suter, longtime sports anchor for mm-hmm. WRAL, and they have the Extra Effort Award named after Tom Suter. And the one thing that I... I must confess now, thankfully, Peacock has all of WWE's content along with some of the regional promotions. This was the first time ever in my life that I watched any WCW programming because I was strictly WWE all the way. I never went back and forth between Raw and Nitro. So were you either WWE, WCW, or did you watch both? I watched both because... Some of my friends at the time in middle school growing up were big WWE fans at the time, WWF. I was a WCW fan. I I fell in love at the time, especially early on, was the Lucha Libre style of wrestling. And I enjoyed watching like Rey Mysterio, still a big fan of his. Chris Jericho, still a big fan of his. Uh, also seeing other cruiserweights such as Psychosis, Juventud Guerrero. Those guys, La Parca, those guys were all just to me were just so fun to watch. And then you also add in this, the change of styles, also Eddie Guerrero and the, the change of styles with someone like Dean Malenko, who was that technical style, always had a counter to your counter to your counter. And just the way he moved around the ring was just the, the styles clash between, you know, for example, Eddie Guerrero with his ability to high fly and Dean Malenko, a more grounded style wrestler, you know, they say styles make fights, right? So just that's what I grew up enjoying uh, was actually the, the cruiserweight division of WCW. That's where I had the most fun. Um, so, yeah, I was, a, I was a WCW guy. I, I can still hear Tony Schiavone saying it's Sting. You know, you can hear that moment. Um, but I still did watch WWF at the time. I actually had a friend of mine who would, tape WWF sometimes and actually give me the VHS and I would you know, watch it, you know, fast forward through the commercials. So I would do that on occasion. Um, and I would definitely keep up with it for sure. But I, me, I was the WCW guy through and through up until about, until about 2000 when things really took a dive and you, you see the writing on the wall. Right. Cause the closest I came as a kid was that episode of raw where Raw was at, I believe, the Hampton Coliseum and Nitro mm-hmm. was at the Norfolk Scope in Norfolk. And DX, they rode the tank yeah. from Hampton to Norfolk to try to invade Nitro. So I was hoping that that gate would lift <laughs> so that I could see WWF, now E, raid Monday Nitro and uh, take on NWO. I To me, if if you look back on if I was WCW, now I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure if WCW had already was making the deal with Vince in terms of selling and all that. But if I was WCW, I would have let him in because if word would have got around that, Hey, DX is on nitro. Everyone's flipping their stations over to nitro. Cause you think back when mankind won the title off the rock, that was, that was pre-taped for Monday night raw. That was actually taped the night before. And Tony Schiavone, those guys actually spoiled it. They're like, ah, you hear on the other show, they're actually giving Mankind the title tonight. Everyone's like, wait, what? Mankind's winning the title? Everyone flipped their televisions over to Raw 
to see if that was actually true. And sure enough, it was. And that locked everyone in on Raw. And that was actually ended up proving to be a big mistake uh, for WCW. But yeah, you think if if WCW was like, bring the tank on down to the ring, everyone's televisions would have flipped over because it would have been the first time we would have seen anything like that in wrestling. Yeah, because I never knew about Raw being taped until I saw the documentaries about the Monday Night Wars that WCW on Nitro would give out the results for Raw since Raw was uh, taped. Yeah, it, that was because I, I think sometimes they would do it where they would tape on Sunday. They would maybe tape two episodes or they would do one live and one taped on a Monday night. So they weren't live every single Monday night, at least initially Raw wasn't. So, yeah, that's something that WCW tried to do, like, Hey, when all the results, here they are. Spoil it. Uh, and that definitely and that definitely irks a few people over at, at WWF at the time. Right. And uh, there's a clip on YouTube. It's from WREL Action News in 1979 when mm-hmm. it was an ABC affiliate. So WREL, real quick background, Capital Broadcasting, one of yep. the only stations I believe in the state to have the distinction of holding network affiliation with the big three, ABC, mm-hmm. NBC, CBS. When I was a kid, WRL was a CBS affiliate until it was after Super Bowl 50, which the Panthers lost to the Broncos, should have won. Mm-hmm. That was when they switched to the Peacock Network. Yeah, that's, yeah, and I was actually employed, I, I was actually employed before the switch. Actually, I was hired on by Capital Broadcasting was still CBS. And also as well, they actually do have a Fox affiliate. There's a second station, uh, WRAZ Fox 50. So actually, you look at all the four big networks uh, the Capital Broadcasting has been affiliated with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in that clip from 1979, mm-hmm. there was a promo yep. of Chief Wahoo McDaniels, Rick, Rick Flair, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, of them doing the match at Dorn Arena. For those of you that don't know, Dorn Arena is located on the state fairgrounds over near Carter Finley Stadium, home of NC State Wolfpack football, and where North Carolina will probably have the state fair this year, given if everything opens back up and doing what they need to do with everything that's going on with uh, COVID. Crossing my fingers on that. Yeah, we I want, the state fair. Yeah, we all, I'm, I'm we all missed our fried. Too. Yeah. We all miss our deep fried, deep fried. You know, I, it's something I've always wanted. I miss my oh, lemonade. Yeah. I miss my $5 turkey leg. I don't yes. go just to ride rides. I go just to eat. And one of the person yeah. working in radio, for those of you that don't know, you get fair passes. But you got to share them yes. out. Yes, that's true. You do have to share them out. But also, it's kind of nice when they do media day for the state fair. and They let the media go in to actually sample the food. Because, you know, that's what people want to know. Hey, what are they deep frying this year? So generally media gets access to that. But unfortunately, sometimes in radio, some of that stuff takes place in the middle of the day when you are on air and you just don't have the opportunity to go. Uh, So you miss out on some of those things, unfortunately. Oh, man, that sucks. But the big deal for me as a kid going to the state fair was always going to the different TV booths to see the personalities that were there. Uh, I remember one time my grandmother, she went to the state fair. She had a chance to take a picture with the late Larry Stogner, who was a longtime triangle news anchor for WTBD News Channel 11. And then just having autographs from, let's say, a Jeff Gravely or Greg mm-hmm. Fischel or Renee, Pam Salsby, Bill Leslie. For me, it was just heaven where I was like, man, I watch these guys on TV 
every day at 5, 5.30, or 6.30, and for them to at least shake my hand and give me a glossy 8 by 10 and says, best wishes, you could have said, we're going home, and I would have been pleased as punch. That's something that, unfortunately, things have changed a little bit in that regard, certainly with COVID, but, yeah, you don't – unfortunately, it's something I actually – with us in media, at least for me, I actually like to get out and meet people and talk to them because if they're not watching, you don't have a show. If they're not listening, you don't have a show because that's who you're talking to. You know, those people are inviting you into their homes or into your cars in some way, shape or form. So I actually like getting out and meeting people and talking to them and just talking about their interests and what they like, because for me, as us in sports radio, that formulates what you talk about in your show. Because if like, for me, I, I certainly would love to talk about wrestling on the air, but not everyone really cares about it. It's still a very niche thing. So understanding your audience and meeting your audiences, it's important. And you have to have that personal connection. And uh, you mentioned, you know, all those names, Jeff Gravely, Bill Leslie, Greg Fischel. And those are people who were stalwarts when I joined with capital broadcasting that, um, have all recently moved on or retired or moved on to a different project, whatever it may be. But yeah, having that personal connection with your audience is it's vital. Right. Cause when I had a chance to interview Charlie Gaddy and Tom Suter, I was like a candy candy store. Like once again, mm -hmm. I grew up watching them and you know, Tom Suter football Friday and yeah. Charlie Gaddy man in the five o'clock. And it was, it was a big deal. Now, for those of you that don't know, I used to work in radio. So this is going to get very radio specific. <laughs> so we're going to have to make sure to break down some radio terminology for you that may not be in the know. So do you have any funny board hopping stories, either running the board back at the studio or out oh, there live in the field? Like you forget to put your cue in for your break or didn't run an ID or ran the bed a little short. Or bed uh, is fancy word for instrumental for those of you that don't know. So here's the, I'm not going to put this person under the bus, but we had a pregame show for the Carolina hurricanes, which we still have, but the person who was hosting it at the time took a nap, but overslept through his alarm. So this is about, we're on air at six 30 games at seven. It's six 15. I'm like, okay, where is he? Not in. Cause I'm running the board and producing. Try to give him a call. Doesn't answer. 620 rolls around. Nothing. 625. Nothing. Finally, he calls into our studio line at 629. He goes, hey, I overslept. Pod me up on the board. So he ended up doing the pregame show, at least the first two segments of the pregame show, driving in from home on the phone. <laughs> so he's on the phone doing the pregame show, driving in. So I have him potted up. And we also had at the time the the play by play voice for radio for the Carolina Hurricanes would join him during pregame. So he's on a connection from the arena. So I have to make sure that the two of them can hear each other because the host is not in studio. So you're I'm working the board and working the faders and things along those lines, because, again, the host is driving in. So you have car noise in the background. You know, you hear a honk of a horn or just, just the hum of the, you know, the engine, those kinds of things. So I'm having to work the faders so they're not overpowering each other because of the the play-by-play -play host in the arena, you hear the arena noises. You hear the horn going off. You hear music, you know, the team warming up, whatever it is. 
So that was going on at the time. It was, uh, and I had think I had been at at ninety nine nine the fan maybe three months at the time, and I just got thrown into this. So that was probably one of the more weirder stories that I had. Uh, and then eventually, after the second commercial break, he walks in the building and then sits down. But here's the thing: he didn't miss a beat. Didn't miss a beat driving in, just on the phone, doing the doing a pregame show. Didn't miss one beat. Still called for all the the sound cuts I have from the pregame interviews that were taped previously. He had it all just in his head. He was already prepared. But yeah, he's just doing it, just doing it from his car driving in. It was one of the more wildest, wilder things I had in my my time, at least early on in radio. My, I have plenty, but I'll give you a good one. I was yeah. bored out for the Russ Parr morning show for the urban radio station in my hometown of uh, Gas, North Carolina, studios based out of Weldon, North Carolina. So power goes out. Oh, dead air. Oh, that's the worst. But I didn't know that the station was out because I could still hear the show through the board because we were running the show off satellite in the back. So mm-hmm. I'm still bored up and still giving my weather breaks like we were still on. So by the time I get done with my shift and before I had to go do the transmitter readers in the back, the OM looked at me with like, you know, you were off the air, right? I was like, no. He looked at me and was just like, go home. Just go home. Wow. Wow, just sent you home. Wow. Yeah, okay. yeah. He, shout, shout out to CJ. What up, CJ? Another one <laughs> was um, another one was we were we were producing local high school football for one of the local high mm-hmm. school football teams, and they were airing it on the country station. And I guess I had forgot to take off the Marty when we were going to commercial break, and the one of the co-anchors was blasting me over the air i guess he didn't know his mic was still hot that it was coming in was looking at me like uh you need to turn that down in the studio it's like ooh. and for those of you that don't know how running a college or pro game works on radio you get you a little log sheet for your pre-game mm-hmm. during the game and your post game have the segments and then it has specifically what you do on the sheets at top of the hour, it's your ID here. Here is local insert. Here is national insert. So if you're running the board, you got to follow that log to the T. Make sure the mm-hmm. ID is played. Make sure your local spots are up. This is unless you have a station where they automate the games, where it runs off the back and they have the tones where it can fire off your spots. Yeah. Which is which is a, the case with a lot of places now. So for example, we run ESPN programming on 99.9, the fan outside of our local shows. So ESPN, they send that tone. Like you mentioned that, that trips our local commercial breaks and there's nothing more frustrating than when that tone isn't fired or it's just not working properly and your commercials don't run. So then you have to actually sit there and run things manually. And oftentimes they don't really fix it. Uh, when they're supposed to. So there have been times where you're in there till two o'clock in the morning, just making sure your commercial breaks are firing. Oh, and then ESPN or whomever finally fixes it. And then you can actually go home. Uh, so yeah, there's been some late nights and things along those lines. Uh, it's interesting. Everything runs basically digital. Now, a lot of people may not understand is that we call them carts in terms of 
with the commercial breaks. It's like, oh, this is a cart number, you know, three, six, four, five, uh, or however you decide to label it. But there actually used to be physical cartridges that had recordings on them that you used to actually have to drop in order in place. So when it was time for the local stations to run their breaks, you actually hit play and you just log these carts and just drop them in to make sure that they ran and the in the order that they were supposed to. And there's different ways of labeling them and stuff. I never had to deal with them too much, but that's how it actually used to be. These like actual carts of like basically these little boxes that you just dropped in. And that's how commercials used to run for the longest time. Yep. They look like big hunking eight tracks and you yeah, had to really basically be heavy handed with the editing with some splice tape and a razor blade. And if you cut mm -hmm. the wrong part while cutting the commercial, you were through, but it made good blooper reels at the annual station Christmas party from a lot of the older DJs and OMs <laughs> yeah. that, I, that I know back in the day when uh, they would do cuts like that, like the infamous Casey Kasem Snuggles mm -hmm. dedication. <laughs> <laughs> right and, now, yeah, we're going to go into this slow jam by this person who wants to hear something for their dad dog. Ted, get Don on the phone. How can I go out of an up tempo record out here and a freaking dead dog die? <laughs> oh that's that's the thing that unfortunately is missed in radio nowadays because we call it you know cutting audio so we still use that that term but like you said it used to be an actual razor blade you have to find the spot on the tape and literally cut it and tape it so if there's like a you know messed up messed up word or whatever it may be you need to, to trim off a second whatever it was you literally cut the tape and i never really had to deal with that because everything's been digital for the last you know 15 years basically and that's how it used to be and nowadays you kind of miss those you know in case you case them all right let's have the blooper reel or you know where you cut things wrong a little bit you you miss that now and that was actually a fun thing about radio is actually you hear those mistakes and then you actually kind of make fun of yourself or you can play it back which is it's kind of cool in the digital age now is that i can i can record the show live and I can immediately pull a sound cut as soon as somebody says something and have it ready to replay. And that's actually fun. So you can have those instant moments, that instant playback. Uh, but yeah, those, those kinds of things in radio just don't exist anymore. It's just changed so, so much. And part of me kind of misses it because radio, like I mentioned earlier, that connection with your audience is so vital and people will tune in sometimes just to hear those those funny bloopers. Right. And also you were a star in your local area where now you'd mm -hmm. be lucky to maybe have two or more local media personalities in your building because everything is syndicated out of a centralized mm -hmm. area because if you're a small to medium market station, you can't really afford to pay top talent to come to you. So you got to pay whatever affiliate for whatever show x amount of dollars to run their show out of the satellite and you just send them their your request to make localized liners or say hey so-and-so is having a bake sale blah 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 and give it that local feel and i feel that's what's missed now is that it's not really where you groom talent because if you think back before automation you had to have a live body in there 24 seven. And the yep. overnight slot was where a lot of DJs who were later become household names cut their teeth. Mm -hmm. And even on the sports radio side, on the talk radio side, people would work those overnights, those overnight shift from, Hey, two to 6 AM, 
you're on live, you know, because you got to fill the airtime because you didn't have the syndication stuff, like you said. And yeah, there's unfortunately those even just part time opportunities for people just to get their foot in the door and to learn the business and just to, like you said, cut their teeth. Those opportunities are, are few and far between nowadays. I, I, I know when I first started at the fan, because this is back, you know, 2015, August 2015 is when I was hired at the fan. And this is when Mike and Mike on ESPN radio was, you know, at their peak at, you know, a few years before they, the, the show split. So this is when Mike and Mike on ESPN radio was big and people would ask me, Oh, you work at 99 on the fan. Hey, what's it like working with Mike and Mike? Like, wait, what are you talking about? I don't work with Mike and Mike. Well, they're on your, sh- on your station every morning. I'm like, they're on over 200 stations across the country. Do you think they <laughs> they're like in every single studio? Like, no, like, I said, like, I uh, know they're actually ESPN in Bristol. We air their show like, oh, why they, they do the local commercial sometimes. And I was like, well, like you said, it's to give that local flavor. Uh, but it, that can be definitely missed. And in some markets, it's you may get one local show for two hours in sports radio and everything else is just ESPN sports radio, CBS, Fox sports radio, whatever it may be, whatever it is they decide to run. And yeah, unfortunately, they lose. You lose that local connection, which is what makes radio so fun is being able to connect with with the host, with the DJ and connecting with the audience. When you lose that, that's when I think you start to lose listeners. And I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. I think this is where talk radio has really taken a dive. Because, okay, yeah, we have sports talk, for sure. You hear political talk, you know, whether it's, you know, the likes of Rush Limbaugh and people along those lines. But you don't hear just a, just a fun talk show anymore. Like Opie and Anthony for years dominated the radio airwaves. Um, Howard Stern dominated FM. Now he's on Sirius XM. But those guys just... You never knew what to expect. You had to tune in because you didn't want to miss anything. And that's why like you're in your car. Okay. I'm going to stay in my car until there's a commercial break. Then I'm going to sprint inside of my office to make sure I get, you know, beat the commercial break back so I can hear what happens next because it was must tune in. It was must listen radio because if you missed it, you missed it. There's no go back and replaying stuff. There's no best of podcasts or anything like that. That is just, gone nowadays uh, in terms of live radio and I, I miss that i actually love those style of shows unfortunately they're basically extinct yeah they're a dying breed because the station where yeah. i worked it was a small market where we just mm-hmm. ran pretty much what was coming out of bristol for the espn affiliate but we still yep. did a lot of live reads cut your local spots because we didn't have an imaging guy imaging that's where the person does your commercials does your liners does your ids and also at the time when i got hired formerly by force media first media radio they now since switched ownership uh they used to have a local news channel where on sunday mornings they would have different religious programming and i would run the tv where they would either deliver their dvds or Steal VHS tapes, and now we hit the switcher and play the videos. And then at the same time, when that was over at around maybe ten o'clock, I would go to the AM booth. It would run the pregame, game, and postgame 
for the Washington football team. Mm-hmm. This was before they had it set up for the back to where it would be automated. So you're talking about being at a station from six o'clock in the morning and leaving at about almost midnight, hoping that if the game didn't go into overtime, that would be about the time you would get out. But if the game yeah. goes overtime, you're looking at leaving at about almost one o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah, especially those, you know, serves probably Larry Michael at the time. But, uh, yeah, those long, long post-game shows that some of these teams like to do or would just drag, even for a 1 o'clock kickoff. It's like it's 7 o'clock. Why are you still on air? Uh, doing The, the post-game taking longer than the game itself. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's something that, you know, used to be a thing. Nowadays, you can have someone that can monitor from, you know, remotely or maybe just pop in just to make sure everything's running on automation properly. And then you can head out and then just kind of listen in just to make sure things are all good. I know for us, we air the Carolina Panthers and I actually, I don't do it anymore. I actually really enjoyed doing it was running the board during Carolina Panthers games because they didn't quite have the, the tones to run the automation that we talked about. So to run the local spots, we had to have someone run the board. I, for some reason, I always found that the, to be the most fun, you know, just listen to the, the radio call and just have the TV muted and watch and just run our local spots. That was always, that was always a fun time for me, but it also ended up being probably a seven hour day. Right. Cause when I was used to run the NC state football on the country station mm-hmm. before seven o'clock, I would have to make sure to turn the automation system to auto off because at seven, a syndicated country show would automatically run and it was once where I was running a state game and I forgot to turn the auto off and in the middle of the game the syndicated country show kicked in in the middle of the game Mm. so I had to dump that real quick to get back to the game but when you're running board up and it's part time you appreciate those long hours because that means more disc for you oh yeah yeah trust me that paid a lot of rent <laughs> working those games. And it, it, I liked it because it was low stress and it was guaranteed hours. But yeah, those, those hours are few and far between nowadays. Like you know, we talk about all this automation stuff now. Um, people can't cut their teeth. And that's, that's how I got started uh, in radio. Now, granted, I did do some radio play-by-play and things along those lines starting in college. But in terms of my actual radio career, just running the board was how I got started. Okay, learn how to run the board learn how it works, continue to learn how it works, learn all of our software systems that connect to our board, understand the satellite stuff. All right. Now let's have you produce a live show, you know, with the normal producer in case they're sick, you know, they're get a flat tire on the way again, whatever it may be, you can be ready to step in and go. And that's what I started to learn doing. And then it's okay. Now you can do morning updates. All right. So I started learning that. So just getting more on airtime and then, you know, now here I am now, having been employed there for five and a half years, be six years this fall. You know, Chris Lee and I have a podcast now. You know, I'm full, you know, producing a show, you know, five days a week. Uh, Chris and I actually had the opportunity to host on Saturdays back in the month of March during college basketball season with March Madness and everything going on. So it's just working the way up. But board hopping is that's how I started. That's how I cut my teeth. It just learning how that stuff works and also understanding how things operate on a remote site in terms of, Hey, we're broadcasting live at PNC arena for the Carolina hurricanes. You know, Hey, it's game one of the Stanley cup, you know, opening round. All right. We got to go set that stuff up. 
How do the mics set up? How does the mixer set up that the mics feed into it? Make sure everyone can, can not only hear themselves, they can hear the station, but the station also hears you. All that setup has to be done. Learning how to do that stuff you know, makes you valuable, and then you work your way up. Uh, that, we don't have that much anymore and this was just five years ago and when i started doing this yeah that just goes to show you how much media has changed because like you i cut my teeth learning how to run a board i was hosting Mm -hmm. my own show in college and then whenever i'll be on break go to the local station and just hang around and you're going to learn how to do everything when you're in a small media market from cutting commercials, hosting, remotes, maybe doing a little bit of sales. So it really is a good fertile training ground. And you're going to make sure you learn how to front sell, back sell, and do a live read and get in and out before that first word is uttered in that song. Mm-hmm. I, I never, excuse me, I never actually worked on the music side of stuff. So in terms of those breaks and getting that stuff in, I never really had to deal with that truly, but I do know doing sports updates, we may only have, all right, you got 20 seconds to get this update in before the liner starts to play before we get the rejoin back into Mike and Mike or whatever program that we're running. So those are actually the opportunities, at least for me, I learned how to get the most information that you can, but yet still have to speak clearly and be quick about it and be precise. So, all right, what information matters? That's where a lot of anchors or a lot of people that are on air get their first on air shots is just doing updates. All right. You got 30 seconds. Give us a sports update. That's local and relevant. Mm, yeah. Cause that's always something I wanted to know with me being primarily on the music side mm-hmm. and with our sports station, only airing out of Bristol and not having localized programming. I come from the aspect where I think sports, Sports talk radio is a lot harder because if you got a local show, you maybe have two or three hours to fill in and you're like, oh, how can I do this? And then even more props to those that's doing morning drive. Like we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, uh, Mike and Mike, when they were still on uh, right, right now, currently KJZ or formerly up in New York, uh, Mike and the Mad Dog on WFAN. Now, yeah. It's really an art form to do talk radio because you got to fill in four hours every morning, Monday through Friday. Yeah, it really is. And it certainly is aided by what happened the night before, or you're previewing what's coming up later that day, or maybe what's happening over the weekend that definitely can dictate some of the stuff you have, but you have to definitely find ways, especially during the slow season, for example, in this area in North Carolina in the summertime, the Canes aren't in the playoffs anymore ain't a whole lot going on. So you have to find some different ways to be creative and to have fun and still be entertaining. And because I know on traditional talk radio side of things on music stations, yeah. Okay. You may have your small breaks or you may, you may get five minutes to talk about something or maybe have a long break. That's 10 minutes. Okay. We're in sports radio. All right, this is an 11 minute segment. We have a four minute break. We have another 11 minute segment and four minute break. Then we have a 25 minute segment and then we have a five minute break. So what are we going to talk about for 25 minutes? <laughs> you know, that that could definitely be challenging for sure. But I mean, case in point, look at me, I can ramble, <laughs> you know, whether they may not be the most entertaining thing at times, but that's where you really have to be creative 
but also not only just be creative preparation is everything in sports talk radio, because if you don't know what you're talking about coming in, you will expose yourself in a heartbeat because people listening in want to hear an informed opinion. They want to hear you talk about the night before because they either want to agree with you or they want to disagree with you or whatever your sports take is. If you're not prepared, you don't know what you're talking about. You're going to expose yourself and people are going to tune you out. Your butt is grass, basically. Exactly. Exactly. And you're, you're worth nothing at that point. If you don't know what you're talking about, if you're not prepared, or at least have some sort of informed opinion about the topic you're discussing, you're cooked. You know, like, there's nothing more frustrating than to hear somebody talk about a game that didn't even watch the game, you know, or at least doesn't bring somebody on to say, Hey, this person knows more about this than I do. I'm going to bring them on so they could talk about it and I can ask them questions or, or be curious about it. And I can, you know, people will just talk in generalities about, a certain team without actually knowing anything about them. It's like, oh, well, you know, Steelers, they like to run the football. Actually, in the past, yeah, but they haven't run the football very well for a few years. You know, they're a pass-happy offense. Those kinds of things. People just, they like to speak on generalities and stuff that they've done in the past. If you're not prepared, you're done. Right. That's why it's important to have your statisticians, your researchers, on your shows because they make your hosts look good. Now I'm curious for this with a station that splits between Aaron, what's coming out of Bristol and localized programming. Do most stations cherry pick what programs from national they want to air? Or is there like a set standard that says you can't cherry pick from X, Y, and Z programs, but only from X, Y, Z. And then you can air your localized programming from this time to this time. So it, it, it is interesting. I, I've always been curious in what, what all goes into making those decisions, because I do know that we have to air because we are an ESPN affiliated station. We do have to air a certain amount of ESPN programming. And generally it's always been whatever the ESPN morning show is, because that always does good ratings for us because the unique thing about, about the triangle, at least in North Carolina as a whole, there are a lot of transplants. So when they start talking national stuff with football, you know, they start talking about the Steelers or the Cowboys, the Washington football team, whatever it is, we have people that are from those areas or know people who follow those teams. So that always generates a large amount of interest. So there is a little it's interesting how that works sometimes because anytime we're not running something local we're probably running something espn related or there are times that we also have a contract with with westwood one and westwood one for those who don't know is probably the number one radio play-by-play company in terms of sporting events they do the super bowl they do the march madness they do you know, baseball, they do all kinds of different stuff, but we also air a lot of those sporting events as well. And so there's kind of, it's an interesting balance on how that works. I'm not going to lie. I don't know all the ins and outs of it. Yeah. That's quite interesting. And with me moving from North Carolina out to New Mexico, the only way I could really see a Panthers game out here is unless I pony out that money for Sunday ticket, or Mm -hmm. if, they're locally on TV playing either the Cowboys, Broncos, or Cardinals, because those are the three major NFL teams around 
New Mexico, primarily Cowboys. And I think, I hope that eventually they will open up to where you don't have to subscribe to DirecTV just to get Sunday ticket to where they're mm-hmm. pretty much monopolizing the market to where if I'm an out-of-market fan that wants to see my home team, but they're not locally available, I only got to go to DirecTV. I can't go anywhere else. I think that's actually something that you're probably going to see with ESPN Plus, and this is something that's been a big-time trend, or we're starting to see this trend now with live sporting events, is where things are going to streaming platforms. So the NHL struck a deal not only with ESPN, but also with Turner. And you're also seeing how CBS, you're seeing Paramount Plus, where they're going to start carrying live sporting events. Peacock, which is the Peacock Network owned by NBC, is going to start airing live sporting events and live content as well. So I think my guess is the NFL is probably going to partner with, my guess, ESPN. And ESPN Plus is going to be that platform to be the NFL Sunday ticket the way that the NHL with ESPN plus they have what's called NHL TV, which is similar to NBA TV where you can subscribe to it, pay a fee for the year and you can watch all the out of market games. You can't watch anything in market, but you can watch all the out of market games and NHL TV after the season is going away that all those out of market games are going to ESPN plus. And I think that's the trend we're going to start seeing is all these, all these, companies are going to start putting all their stuff on streaming because while cable still has the majority of number of subscriptions in terms of can be compared to digital um, digital subscriptions, people want to be able to access that stuff while they're on the road. Like, Hey, riding down the road for a half hour drive with, you know, with my family, I'm going to pull up this game here on ESPN plus. So I don't miss anything where I can just, you know, stop in and catch and see Things are going towards that streaming network. You know, you're a wrestling fan. The WWE WWE Network was really the first one, actually almost can argue is the pioneer behind this stuff because they had their their library of all their videos and such. And they also started airing their pay-per-views streaming on the WWE Network. So you didn't have to have a cable subscription and then buy it through pay-per-view. You just needed the WWE Network. That was it. And that's the trend that we're starting to see. You're going to see more live events, sometimes exclusively on a streaming platform. Yeah, sooner or later, blackouts are going to be a thing of the past. Now, a broadcast- Which I'm okay with blackouts going away. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that too. Now, a broadcasting legend that just recently announced that after this playoffs, the Eastern Conference playoffs, I believe, he's stepping away from broadcasting. So can we talk about the impact of Marv Albert? Anytime somebody does something for nearly 60 years, you know, you've, you've done well for yourself. And you know, Marv Albert is just a legend. If you ever watch NBA basketball, I mean, you've, you know, the name Marv Albert, you've heard his voice and now you see yes! his son, Kenny Albert doing it as well. Yes. Three pointer. Got it. That's Marv Albert. You've heard that at any point, anytime you've watched an NBA game. And I guess he's working with, with, uh, with uh, TNT now. Um, yeah, that guy's just, he's been a staple for a long, long time. Right, and he'll definitely be missed after this playoffs. And another triangle connection, Round mm-hmm. Ball Rock, which was the theme for NBA on NBC, which NBC yes. still uses for their 
Olympic basketball thing was composed by Mr. John Tesh, who went to yeah. State, worked at WTVD, I believe, and was former co-host of Entertainment Tonight. Please bring back the NBA to NBC. No disrespect to ESPN and ABC, but, but outside of Turner, NBC to me had the best NBA coverage because I remember back in the day as a kid when they used to do those triple headers on Sundays. Yeah. It's it's amazing how the, the networks, how these leagues flow. Obviously, money playing the big factor into that. But, uh, you know, NBC, I don't know if NBC... I don't know if NBC needs the NBA, to be honest, because they do well. I mean, obviously they're losing in the NHL, but they do so well with Olympics and Sunday night football and just the other live programming that they have. I don't think they necessarily need it where, where I think ESPN has to have live game content because they don't survive if they don't, because when you're a 24 hour sports station, you have to have games to air. You just, you need that content and you need to fill it. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing John Tesh's round ball rock, you know, coming through my TV airwaves. Once again, that would actually would be pretty cool to hear, but I don't, I don't know if the NBA or NBC, eh, I just, it'd just be a weird partnership to think about, you know, I know it used to be a thing, but now I think about it. I don't know if, I don't know if that's something that will ever happen again, which is fine. It doesn't have to happen, but. Um, NBC is, is losing some stuff though. Granted, they do have the WWE network now streams on their streaming service Peacock. So that's kind of in a way, part of their part of their live content that they have. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that the NHL just brings you stuck, struck a deal with Turner. Now Turner, if you're listening, I know you're probably not, but I'm gonna say this anyway, bring back the glowing puck. That was the one thing that oh, I love when Fox used to have oh, their NHL coverage no. when they used to have the glowing puck. No, no, the glowing puck. No, you can't bring back the glowing puck. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree with you on that one. There, that glowing puck looked awkward, very, very awkward at times. Now, granted, technology's changed since you know the late '90s, early 2000s, where they where they had the glowing puck, but uh i'm not sure that's that one would fly too too well right and a little bit of a fun fact about the carolina hurricanes folks they were originally the hartford whalers and then they ended up moving down to raleigh durham to become the hurricanes which i found kind of odd because hockey in the southeastern u.s sound like strange bedfellows because when you think of hockey you think of primarily northeast and the midwest you do, but they when they moved down in the late 90s, it was 97, 98 seasons when they first moved down, they actually played their first couple of years at the Greensboro Coliseum while PNC was being finished up. So they actually started off in Greensboro for a couple of years before moving their permanent home to Raleigh. You know, Hartford, unfortunately, they're in a situation where they just couldn't sustain anymore in that area because in Hartford, you're in Connecticut, you're competing with Boston and the Bruins and those New York market. You're it's hard to compete against the Rangers and the Bruins and the Islanders. And they, they had to move, but they also weren't the first Northeast team to make a Southern move. Again, remember the Dallas stars used to be the Minnesota North stars in Minnesota is, is the hockey state in North in, in America it is the hockey state. And all of a sudden the pro hockey team, 
in Minnesota moves down to Dallas, you know, people are going to, the owners are going to move their team to wherever best fits the owners and, and their bottom lines, because at the end of the day, it's still a business. You know, these owners, they don't own these franchises to break even or to lose money. They have them because they're business owners. They they're there to make money. And so they're going to move to different markets, whatever fits best. But you know, here in this area, when the team started getting good, everyone rallied around it. You know, 2002, they made a run to the Eastern conference finals where they lost to Detroit. And I think that helps the fan base in this area grow because they were in North Carolina for five years and then, wow, they're already in the Eastern conference finals. And then actually they, they got to the Stanley cup finals that year, actually. And then 2006, they make the Stanley cup run, win it in game seven in Raleigh and win the Stanley cup that boosted things. 2009, they made a run to the Eastern conference finals. So they had success early after they moved here, which helped a bunch because again, a lot of transplants in this area, people that moved down from the Northeast that know hockey or like hockey. were like, Oh wow. I actually have a local team a local pro team that I can pull for. Yeah. Cause the way that you mentioned that kind of sound eerily a parallel to the Panthers when they first started playing 95 and I think it was two years mm-hmm. after that, they ended up making a run to the NFC title game where they lost to green Bay. Yeah. And that, that's always going to help a fan base grow. If you look out, for example, the Vegas Golden Knights, this is the third year of their fourth year of their franchise's history. Their first year as a franchise, they go all the way to the Stanley Cup final in their first year was as a franchise. Yeah, it's crazy. And they're still a really good team. But what you did was you automatically built up a fan base because, hey, this is new. I can jump on this right now and I'm not considered a bandwagon fan because it's brand new. So they were able to build this fan base. They bought into what Vegas has to offer in terms of, Hey, this is you know the entertainment capital of the world, basically. So they had all the live different shows during pregame and, you know, they had, they brought in all the fanfare. They brought out all the stops and, Oh, by the way, they just also happen to be good. So not only am I getting the entertainment outside of the game, but I'm also getting to watch a really, really good team play. And I was actually pulling for them to win that Stanley Cup because how awesome of a story would that have been? Hey, first time ever that you have a team and you go to the Stanley Cup and you win it? That would have been a pretty cool story. Yeah, that would have been nuts because their run to the Stanley Cup Finals their first year, the Canes winning the Stanley Cup, and then the year that the Mighty Ducks went to the Finals, that was definitely Great times for the casual hockey fans. And given now we got the Mighty Ducks game changers on it on Disney Plus and how it's reintroducing the Mighty Ducks to a new generation and satisfying those of us that grew up with the original Mighty Ducks movies. Yeah, I still haven't checked that out yet. I still need to watch that show. But, you know, for us growing up, I'm I'm, yeah, I've heard that it's fun and I definitely do want to watch it. But and for me, I'm about to turn 35 in June. And yeah, Mighty Ducks was just one of those childhood movies, sports movies that you watch. It was like that, The Sandlot. Those were movies that you always will remember growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that actually got me into liking hockey. So how did Culture State come about? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Chris and I started talking about our connection with just being pro wrestling fans, him being the former pro wrestler. And 
I have wanted to been wanting to do something original at the station, you know, like I want to do a podcast, but I just couldn't quit, quite put my finger on what. And Chris and I started talking. I was like, Hey, you interested in doing this? Because he and I just had instant chemistry together. And he's like, man, like I want to do something. Let's figure something out. So we got on the phone, started talking and just started bouncing ideas off each other. And we brought it to our, to the brass at Capital Broadcasting saying like, Hey, this is an idea that we have. This is something we want to do in terms of a podcast. And took a lot of time to get to actually getting it out, you know, on platforms and things, those lines, because the way the company decided to change some things up in terms of how they wanted to actually promote and produce podcasts, because, you know, if you want to have a good podcast, that's to be a, a, something that actually gets to the point. It has to be somewhat specific or, you know, has to have a, a focus to it. And one of the things that for us, for Chris and I was finding specifically what that focus was. And we kind of got to the idea of talking is like, you know, here in North Carolina, there's a lot of, a lot of great athletes, a lot of great coaches, but there's also a lot of great entertainers, musicians, actors, you know, people that do stuff, you know, in all these different industries and different fields of entertainment that are either from North Carolina or they made their name while they're here in North Carolina so it's like, okay, well, let's do something North Carolina specific. So we narrowed down our focus and our and culture state is celebrating those who put North Carolina on the sports and pop culture map. And one of the early, we, one of the early interviews that we have was Petey Pablo. You know, people know the song, you know, raise up, you know, Hey, North Carolina, take your shirt off, twist around your head like a helicopter. Everyone knows that song, but who is Petey Pablo, you know? So it was nice to actually talk to him specifically. Why did you want to create that song? And he talked about, you know, I want to put North Carolina on the map. I didn't want North Carolina just to be a place that you drove through to get to Atlanta or drive up through if you're going up to D.C. or New York. So that was the that was what our intent was. We want to talk to those individuals because anytime the Carolina Hurricanes score a goal now, they play Raise Up by Petey Pablo. So you're here in North Carolina and people will, take their jerseys off and they would twist around their head. Uh, so those are, those are the people that we wanted to talk to. And so that's how culture state kind of came about is he and I connecting over our love of pro wrestling. Actually our first guest that we had on culture state was the hurricane Shane Helms. Who's from Johnston County, North Carolina. We talked about his, his many little run that he had in this small feud that he had with the rock, how he pinned the rock on Monday night raw the Monday before WrestleMania when, the rock was about to wrestle stone cold Steve Austin and how big of a moment that was for him. And so, I mean, those were people that are from North Carolina and that's what we want to do. We want to celebrate those who put North Carolina on the sports and the pop culture map. And there's a lot of people that are from this state who do a lot of awesome things. And that's what we want. Every, that's what culture state's all about celebrating those people. Right, and it's definitely a podcast that I enjoy, one of my favorites, and being a North Carolina native, I always thought North Carolina and the national scale of things was overlooked for a long period of time because yeah. with the location being in the middle of the U.S. where you got to pass through us to either go to New York or go to Florida, and you're getting a mix of different influences because you have transplants from different parts of the U.S. bringing their own culture and style 
And the one thing that I'm glad about now is you're seeing, you know, the Duffer Brothers, Stranger Things, I believe they're from Durham, went to Hillside. They are. Um, J. Cole with great, great music. The Off Season just came out. Great album. Rhapsody, Ninth Wonder, Gerard Carmichael. We can go on and on of all the great people that came out of the Tario State. It's good to see North Carolina finally starting to develop its own identity and not pretending to be that, okay, we're going to follow what Atlanta's doing. We're going to follow what Virginia's doing. We're going to follow what New York is doing. We got our own style. We got our own swagger, and we got something to say. And I think you, you touched on about how there are a lot of people that transplants here into North Carolina. Well, that's actually the fun thing about Poulter State. I kind of represent those transplants. Having Again, this is my second time here in North Carolina, but I represent those transplants who have moved here and are continuing to learn about North Carolina and everything it has to offer and embraces what the state has and has fallen in love with the state. Not only, you know, the physical aspect in terms of, Hey, I got the beach a couple hours away. The mountains are right there, but the sports culture, the people falling in love with, with all aspects of it. And then you have someone like Chris who's born and raised in North Carolina and has a love for his home state and, and grew up here and is, and wants to support all things North Carolina. That's the kind of the, that's part of the blend. And actually what kind of makes culture state so cool is that, Hey, here's the native North Carolinian and Chris, and here's myself, the transplant who's still learning and growing in the state, but has fallen in love with it. Right. Because a lot of people know, of course, Pepsi found in North Carolina mm-hmm. out in New Bern, Hardee's founded in yeah. Greenville, North Carolina. The test kitchen was in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, Texas Pete, based out of Winston-Salem, I believe, Bojangles, mm-hmm. the South Southeast National Treasure, Charlotte. Krispy, Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme, of course, the hot light. Got to go when the hot light is on. Pure oh, Wine, Food Lion, Harris Teeter. You know, yep. North Carolina has, of course, in the GOAT, the greatest basketball player of all time 100%. from Wilmington, North Carolina. Yeah, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, you want to talk about somebody that put North Carolina on the map, you know, with his 82 title run with Dean Smith. And then obviously what he did, I mean, his NBA career speaks for itself. Uh, I mean, yeah. Talk about somebody that puts North Carolina on the map. I mean, Michael Jordan's the number one person, which by the way, Michael, if you're watching this and listening to this right now, hit us up. We yeah, want to, yeah, love yeah. to have you yeah. on. We yeah. want to have you on. Yeah. I wear a size nine and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Well, Size we'll nine and a half. Back up the Brinks truck. Send me some boxes. I'll give you free Jordan endorsements. Size nine and a half. And I have you a fresh box of stogies for you too, because I know you like some stogies. Now, I want to <laughs> ask you uh, a foodie question. Since North Carolina right. is known for barbecue, Eastern okay. or Western? I actually tend to probably have to go a little bit in the Eastern, but... I'm not the biggest fan of a vinegar taste uh, in general. So yeah, when it comes to barbecue, but also not a big sauce guy either when all my barbecue. So that's probably where I tend to lean towards Eastern style where a lot of people may not know Eastern style is with the vinegar based, the Lexington slash Western style. It's referred to as Lexington style, but people call it as Western is more of that tomato based or ketchup based uh, barbecue style sauce. South Carolina has this mustard base. I won't. I won't. Get I don't. I don't Carolina claim that because, either. It's trash. Yeah. Just get get, get out of here. Um, 
but yeah, I would probably have to lean a little bit more towards the Eastern style, though. Actually, I probably prefer a dry rub on my ribs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but if I had to if I had to pick one, I'd have to go Eastern. Yeah, and of course, you know, Eastern side of the state, there's good barbecue joints. You got got them everywhere. Kinston, Aiden, Greenville. And if you're ever in my neck of the woods in North Carolina, there's this barbecue restaurant called Rouse. Long time okay. standing institution. Great food where you can get chicken, barbecue, hush puppies, coleslaw, the good stuff, the works, and tell them I sent you. But um, right, neither, I'm there. Yeah, neither here nor there. And another thing, Bojangles or cookout. When you're in the jam, which food place are you stopping at first, Bojangles or cookout? Between those two, Bojangles. And what's your go-to meal at Bojangles? Oh, you gotta go three piece supreme. I mean, that's just that's just classic three piece supreme. Mm. Do you? I mean, what else? I mean, what else is on the menu? To be honest, yeah. I, I never had the chicken supremes from Bojangles. I will always get a three-piece meal. Really? Double fixings with the fries, sweet tea, okay. and a Cajun filet biscuit. Okay. All right. I mean, you can't go wrong with any of that. I actually, I, I this body needs to abstain away from sweet tea. Uh, so I, I, I don't get that. But yeah, I mean, what you just went with, you can't go wrong. Yeah. It's hard to go wrong with just about anything at Bojangles. No, you can't go wrong with Bojangles, which is why whenever I go home to visit, which is every two to three years, Bojangles is a must stop. I got to stop at Bojangles and I got to stop at Cookout and get my chicken chicken cheddar style tray, double fries mm. with a cheer wine. And if it's December, I'll get a eggnog milkshake. Ooh, I'll pass on the eggnog. Eggnog is great. I don't know. What oh, you're, you're, nope. you're missing out. You're missing out. Pass Get, on the eggnog. Pass first, on eggnog. First, you don't like jelly or jam. Now you tell me oh. you don't like eggnog. Nope. Don't like any of those. Don't like jelly or jam. For those who don't know, Chris uh, Chris Lee is a big fan of jellies or jams. I am not. Chris Lee likes wine. I do not. Uh, Chris Lee likes IPAs. I do not. Uh, but no, I, I don't do eggnog. Don't like it. Flavor, texture. It's just, no, not for me. That, that's my highlight of when it's Christmas. And also for <laughs> jellies and jams, get you a nice hot piece of toast or biscuit. Open it up. Mm-hmm. Get you some strawberry, jelly, apple butter, sweet potato butter. Put it on there. You want to talk about hurt yourself good. I'm telling you. <laughs> I, you know, I've been, I've, I've heard this pretty much my entire life uh, because my mom, my, my sister, they love, I, I actually just bought my sister uh, when I was up in Lancaster, PA, uh, Pennsylvania recently. I uh, bought her some strawberry rhubarb jelly. And I bought my mom a peach jam and uh, blueberry jam. And they're like, you sure you don't want to try it? I'm like, I'm 100% sure I don't want to try it. Uh, I just I've never liked it. Never have. But have you ever experienced the greatness that is Waffle House? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yes, but I'm going to advise all you that are non-Southerners, make sure you find a Waffle mm-hmm. House. Look at the sanitation grade. If it's a C or less, you know you're in the right place. <laughs> the exactly, raggy, that's the place the to go. <laughs> is, the food is going to be fire. Get your hash brown scattered, smoked, <laughs> covered, capped, topped. But my go-to meal at Waffle House is a Texas toast, sausage, egg, and cheese with hash mm. brown scattered and covered. I get that every time at Waffle House. I don't care why I go. That's if my the, meal at Waffle House. 
if there's a cigarette butt sticking out of the mouth of the cook, you're in the right place. Yes, either that or if you can <laughs> find a Shoney's, go to Shoney's, get that breakfast oh, buffet. Man. Ah, I, did, I just do Shoney's even exist anymore? I haven't yeah, seen a yeah, Shoney's. Yeah, in Shoney's years. still exists. I know they're out in like Tennessee. And when I went out to Tennessee about two years ago, I saw Orion's steakhouse and we used to have Orion really? in my hometown and that would be the go-to spot where everybody would go eat after church and you would load up on the dessert bar over the oh one more thing mm-hmm. people golden corral is based out of fedville yeah which unfortunately a lot of those are closing up because of the pandemic and yeah stuff the golden too. corral yeah, in it's... my area closed too but that was the go-to spot mm-hmm. for uh after church, social gatherings, KNW, another great spot. So if you want to know ah. all things good to eat in North Carolina, just Google it and you'll find it. Now, last question, I'm going to get you out of here on this. Um, we all mentioned right. earlier about the changing media landscape and how live sports is probably going to go to the streaming platforms, but it feels like traditional media is having a hard time finding its place in the new digital media age with so many different outlets like All the Smoke with Matt Barnes, Stephen Jackson, Knuckleheads podcast. And it seemed like as long as you have a mic, internet connection and the voice, you can do it. So where do you think sports media traditionally goes from here? How can they manage to stay relevant without having that big impact like they once had? pre-internet i think the way things are trending now is you have you can't look at it as just all right here's sports radio and over here's is television and over here's our website they all have to blend together that's the key because you have to be able to have digital content on your sports radio station in terms of your social media channels if you obviously whatever website that you have, it's whether specific to your station or for us, for example, we have with WREL sportsfan.com, which ties in both nine, nine, the fan and WREL sports. So that all links together. So you have to have that cross promotion where we're doing stuff specifically for the website or we're having, we're repurposing our content from radio onto the website or vice versa you have to be full on multimedia nowadays. And that's something that Chris and I've done or trying to do with culture state is that we will maybe have some promo stuff that runs on the fan, but we also have the audio version of the podcast, the video version of the podcast. We'll do a blog post on WRL sports fan, Chris on one of his, you know, on one of his uh, sports spots that he has either at, you know, six o'clock or 10 o'clock or 11, we'll have a package related to, our conversation with our guests. Like we had Matt Doherty on recently where he talked about how he said, you know, and looking back on it, I never should have taken the North Carolina coaching job. I should have stayed at Notre Dame, which was a big bomb drop. So that turned into a, you know, a voiceover rap on, on with Chris, you know, on the six o'clock news and at 10 and 11. So it also was our audio. We also had video. We had website posts. We had to do all of those things. And, and even some of our cuts we ran, uh, some of our local shows ran on 99.9 The Fan. That's how you have to look at sports media nowadays is that you can't just be radio. You can't just be TV. You can't just be a website. You can't just be a podcast. You have to be all of those things because people may find you in one spot, but they won't find you in another. And you have to reach out to as many places as you can. 
have your many hands in the pot and synergy mm-hmm. is the word of the day. Yeah. Synergy. And it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of extra work. You know, it's, it's not, there's no longer the days where you can just show up on radio, crack the mics, talk for four hours, three hours, and then just be done. That's just only a fraction of it now. Yep. You got to be more than one thing now. So do you have any shout outs you want to give before we wrap this interview and also plug your social media? Sure. You give me a follow at the fan rookie on, on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, you can follow culture state podcasts uh, at culture state pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, search us on all your major podcast platforms, but a big shout out to you for having me on. And also a big shout out to our man shows move, AKA Chris Lee. Um, would not be here, would not be doing stuff culture safe if it wasn't for Chris. Uh, he's the man. Chris is awesome. So big shout out to, to show smooth. Yeah, what up, Chris? And also you can catch Beyond the Album Cover where every stream podcast on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash beyond the album cover, the website beyond the album cover.wordpress.com. And for all you other music podcasts out there. I'm coming for you because if you don't know what I'm cooking, if you know your wrestling history, you know where this is coming from. Can you dig that, sucker? Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Mr. Dennis Cox of Culture State 99.9 The Fan. You got something else to say before we wrap, Dennis? Uh, all I can say is just that I'm just waiting for the Harlem Heat come out here that's all i'm saying just raising the roof i'm ready for you i'm ready for you to spin on your head raise the roof do the five time five time five time five time five time yeah knock it out man yeah i can't do a spin the rooney because i got no rhythm but uh that's neither here nor dead dennis (laughs) coming on to beyond the album cover bro and we'll do it again thanks for having me man yeah